So, yo, it's your boy, One Take No Chaser, man. And, and today, this is lucky episode number 55 for me. So I'm very excited to be here. It's like a double nickel for those of y'all who are from New York. You know the significance. And unfortunately, it happened to us. But we're going to put that to the side for now. And we're going to just enjoy the fact that a double nickel means a lot to a lot of people. So this particular episode means a lot to me for a particular reason, man. Like, if you know me... Ever since I've been a kid, I've been a jazz head. I did it because I was trying to impress my father, you know, because all kids want to be like their father. Um, I even played trumpet when I was in middle school and a little bit of high school until I figured out football got more girls. So I kind of left with that, you know what I mean? <laughs> or, or, or I might have been wrong. But if you also know anything about me, you know that on my stories on a daily basis, I put a song up there, multiple songs up there, and try to get the mood going, man. And so one of my absolute favorite artists, um, it's here with me today, man. So like, it's an honor for me. Um, I got the award-winning uh, uh, high note recording artist, uh, uh, his, his peltness, um, the talented Mr. Pelt, Jeremy Pelt. Tell the people, how you doing, man? How's it going, man? Thanks for having me. Nah, thanks man, for thanks, for, thanks for being here, man. This is dope for me, because like literally, man, you got me through a lot of days, man. I want you to know that, like for sure. Oh, so. wow. Yeah, man. So tell the people about yourself, man, and about, you know, who you are, you know, where they can find you, you know, tell, tell the people about yourself. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's, there's so much, you know, you, you might have to narrow that one down. <laughs> I mean, you know, I've been out here for a little over two decades. So, I mean, at this point in the game, where one could find me is uh, is actually reasonably simple since nobody's going anywhere <laughs> anytime right. soon. But I mean, you know, prior to COVID, you know, I was quite ubiquitous. So I mean, you know, any jazz haunt that was in the city is in in particular, I, I could be seen at. Uh, otherwise, you know, on the road. And that's what's up, man. So I know before we get into that part of the conversation, and the last time I went outside, so let's peel it back for a second. We all know around this time last year, everybody got shut down and forced into a lot of different things, man. One of the things we all got forced into was being still and just paying attention to our surroundings, man. And I know that from that, you know, you, you, you penned a book and also, you know, created a new album, you know, which is out now. We're going to plug that in a minute, but you know, a new album out now uh, called Grio. This is important. So the last time I went outside, I actually came to come see you, man, because the one thing I said to, that I, was, I wasn't going to do any further is when opportunities present themselves to be outside, I'm going to take it because you mm -hmm. never know when something's going to have to shut you down or something happens to you where you can't enjoy. So the simple things in life, you know, jazz shows, you know, for me, eating at your favorite restaurant, going to go see the Mets, you know what I mean? Going to see my pops, stuff like that, that you, like, you really stopped doing. Um, it was, but going back to your book, man, like I, I, I do have it. Um, and it's, it's, it's super interesting to me because when you think music, you just listen. And with jazz in particular, there's no words. And I think maybe that's why people get a little bit scared off, but you don't know how to interpret what people are doing with the instrument and kind of turning it into your own words. So I said a lot, but when you decided to put the pen to paper for Griot, tell me where that came from and tell the people what a Griot is for those people who don't know. A griot in West African culture is a, is a storyteller, is a traveling storyteller, um, who preserves the the uh, pretty much the narrative and and the uh, the history of of the people, um, and that storyteller could be a musician, it could be a poet, it could be several you know different mediums, but it's it's someone that's transient that that 
really, you know, upholds the, the history of, of any given situation. And so as, as it pertains to the book, once I, you know, so that's a word, number one, that isn't necessarily household. So it could be forgiven if you see it and it looks like riot. Um, and that was how it was for me. So when I first saw it, um, I was like, okay, what is this? You know, cause a friend of actually Buster Williams, you know, legendary bassist, um, one of his handles on social media is Grio. Uh, I forgot what the, the, the other half of it is, but Grio something. And so every time I'd see it, I was like, well, what does that mean? And so I actually just looked it up. And when I did, that definition spoke to me in a profound way where I was like, well, hell, I'm a Griot, you know, and I come from Griots, you know, so it, it, it was hand in hand. But um, getting to the book, um, the book was something that was inspired by a, another book written by a great drummer named Art Taylor, a great jazz drummer who's been on lots of iconic recordings. And when I first saw the book, read the book, I was in college and I'd worked in the library. So when I, when I found the book, you know, I didn't really, I knew who Art Taylor was. I wasn't really uh, necessarily exposed to exactly how great of a musician he was just because my mentality at 17 years old isn't what it is right, right now. But, you know, what inspired me and made me excited was seeing the people that he interviewed, right? So he's got Miles Davis and Dexter Gordon and Sonny Rollins and all these heavyweights. And I'm sitting there and Freddie Hubbard and I'm like, wow. Yeah, about that, right, exactly. <laughs> this, was, this, was, this was a situation where you, you know, you look at these interviews and they're so personable, you know, because, I mean, and it didn't really register to me at that point. It was just an interview, but it didn't, the importance of it didn't really register to me that it was two black people having this conversation um, until you start reading more interviews and history and how, you know, how things could change in jazz, you know, and how, how it's filtered. And so, but the thing that was remarkable was the candor in those interviews, but also the sense that every couple of years I would go back to that book and it would mean something completely different according to, according to your just natural state of, of, of maturation, you know? So, I mean, at 17 years old, I'm not necessarily going to identify with a lot of things that somebody, you know, that is of that, that status, talking about at that point right but then you know when i get to be 25 things start to maybe click in a little bit then 30 it's like oh, okay this is starting to make sense then 35 before you know and then and then you start to really uh understand from a, another perspective and so one of my concepts not concepts but one of my ideas um that i always had was that somebody should do something like this for this generation. And this is what I'm talking about even when I was in college. So that's in the nineties. I'm like, man, it would be great if there was something like this for, you know, Roy Hargrove and all the cats that are out here, you know. And it started and I kept thinking about that and all the time. Matter of fact, I just did here's here's a here's a true story. And I and I promise you, man, this is I didn't even know that I was talking about it. I know I was thinking about it, but I didn't know that I was talking about it. And I just did an interview just yesterday with a great bassist named Rodney Whitaker. And Rodney Whitaker played, he was he was the bassist that kind of underscored my whole kind of, 
vibe back in the 90s. You know, he played with Roy Hargrove. We played with Terrence. Those were both my groups. Mm-hmm. And so as I was talking to Rodney, he was like, man, I remember us having a conversation back in 1997 when I was in Boston and you said you were going to do this. I was like, damn, oh, wow. So I didn't realize I even was talking about it back then. But, you know, sooner or later, you know, I did get to it. And in 2018, 2018 marked my 20th year professionally on the scene. And so I felt like I had been here long enough and, and had enough contacts to where I would be respected enough to yeah. uh, be able to lead a project like this. And so that's what happened. Yeah, man. So so when I was, you know, going through the book, man, there's a couple of stories that jumped out to me of like, you know, so let me let, let me try this out for a second. Let me know how this sounds, man. Like the whole idea about letting your instruments speak for you is something that has to be deeply personal, right? Like that has to be something that, you know, you have to understand where it is you want the audience to go before you decide to put your fingers on on your trumpet and do whatever you're gonna do. You know, how much inflection you're gonna put on a particular note, so on and so forth. But what's interesting about the book is if you are somebody who just thinks about musicians as people who only perform, you lose a whole bunch of who they are as people. So in those stories, I read a lot, man. It was like there was pain in some of their words. There was anger. Uh, 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 there was there was reverence for the art. There was there, look, a little bit of shade for those people who don't take the art seriously enough. Like you know what I mean? Like it was it was it was crazy to me. And I think I, I keep surfacing this whole notion about like like words without words. I think it's very important. So when you when you go back and you think about. 2020 in particular, because I think on 2020, like I think I started following you on social media like at around towards the end of 1920, simply because I like your music. But then I'm noticing like, nah, this brother got something to say. And, he, and, he's, and he's, he's vocal. Like he's going to say, I'm going to say, I said what I said. I said what I said, like, you know, and, and I'm not going to apologize for it. So it's almost like this book, though, you began working on it after you crossed over your 20th year, you know, and, you know, paid those dues. It was timely because a lot of that, a lot of that shit felt relevant. I'm really like, yeah, worry, Like, yeah, that's like, so thinking about the stories, like, and again, it's, I would never put you in a position to say, tell your favorite story because all of them got to be your favorite. Just like if you got more than one kid, every day, somebody's a different favorite for me. But right, right. <laughs> the story that jumps out to you the most when you like, yeah, like, you know what, this is the one that if you ask me, um, you know, if you ask me, this is the one that I'm going to, you know, I'm going to lean on the most. And why? Yeah, you know, it's it's uh, it's ever changing. man. So here's the thing. It's important to realize that those 15 interviews that are contained in the first volume were chosen out of a much bigger pool. So by the time I actually went to publish it, I had already had easily over 35 interviews. And, um, you know, I chose them just as a nice mixture of of generations more than anything uh, to put in the first book and to kind of grab you too, right? Now, to your question, I think that every interview and I mean, it, and you know, it's, it sounds incredibly democratic when I say this, right? But I mean, every interview really had that spark of, 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 oh, wow, you know, I can lean on this because there was something, I mean, there wasn't one interview where I felt like it was predictable. You know what I mean? So it wasn't like, okay, this is how it's going to go. If I anything, I, person I, mm-hmm. you know, if anything, I went into some of them with, preconceived notions 
of what I knew about that person. I mean, I pretty much know everybody, you know, pretty personally in this, in that, in that, those chapters, but, and, and, you know, some of them are more widespread than others. Wynton Marcellus, right? He's probably the one that's been interviewed in that whole book the most, right? Um, and so through 30 years of, 35 years of reading about Wynton and reading his thoughts and interviews, you think you know something. So you, you know, so you ask these questions and, and you know, I might've thought that I knew what I was gonna get back. And then sometimes it was something completely different. I was like, oh, you know, so that in that sense, everything was a learning experience and a beautiful learning experience um, in terms of, of uh, you know, what I asked and, and what I got in return. Right, right. So did, did you notice a common thread between all of them? Again, 15 interviews that you whittled down from about 30 some odd interviews. But did you kind of notice like a common thread Cause I'm still looking for that. I'm one of those people who likes to do a through line. Like if, I, if I'm going to read a collection of stories in my head, I need to be able to make sense of what I, what I walked away with. And I'm still not sure if I got there yet, but I'm not sure if you got there as the author, like what's the one thing you were like, Oh, this is kind of like a common through line. Well, you know, it's, what's interesting is that I pretty much the impetus for making the book was to draw was was for the reader themselves, especially the young black readers, to really draw parallels between what they're reading and their lives at certain at any given point in their life. Um, so if there's no commonalities um, across the board um, at first, doesn't mean that it won't hit you later. Um, I you know for me I don't know that I mean there there are certain things that that resonate. In, in a very profound way from uh, for, for, for different uh, musicians, you know, um, that, that I heard in those interviews, you know, certain things that uh, I could align myself with and say, oh yeah, okay, yeah, that happened to me too. So, I mean, and, 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 and you know, one of the things that you, you inadvertently hit on in that question is the fact that there are certain, I mean, there are questions that I've asked everybody the same question you know what i mean so and i do that just to see where their mentality is on 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 a particular subject and in that sense there isn't one i mean there's there's some people that that kind of spout the same type of uh not spout that's that's a, that, that's not a good word but have the same kind of mentality uh, towards a subject than others, but they're expressed in different ways. You know what I mean? And so, I, I, you know, I think to your question, I don't necessarily look for um, like stark commonalities, you know, to take away from it. You know what I mean? I think that one of the things that it teaches you is that everybody, you know, will have a, a certain type of view about something. Right. Absolutely. So let's let's. So when I went, I went outside, man. You know, and again, landed in Smalls and enjoyed the show, man. It was it was super dope for me, and it was cathartic for me because again, it was the first time I was having a rough, rough couple of days, and I was like, you know what, I'm gonna do? I'm gonna go see this show. And I, I noticed it's, it's hard for me to notice. It's hard for me not to notice that, like, I, I felt like the only one in there. Cause I was the only one in there. Like I was the only, I feel like I was the only black man in there who wasn't either older or just in general. 
And I'm wondering, like, you know, is that lost on you or is that like, you know, like what would be the action plan if you could sprinkle fairy dust on the road? I'm like, nah, I need to get people to understand the 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 dopeness of 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 what this is all about. Like, what would be the thing that you would sprinkle with people? Because for me, it's very simple, right? Like I I I, I find beauty and being able to hear somebody again, be able to interpret a feeling without saying a word. It's like one of those people who enjoys people who have facial expressions, right? Like most of the people who I'm, who I'm good friends with make some funny ass faces without saying the word, but it's a reason why, cause it's like, I know exactly what that person's saying and that person didn't say the word. But I don't want for people not to enjoy this art because they are afraid of it or they feel like it's unapproachable. I think that's the I think that's the fear factor for some folks. So mm -hmm. if you was to jump in there and be like, ah, right, y'all, this is how I'm gonna get this plan to make sure that jazz lives on and it's not something that only caters to people who was visiting from like, you know, Europe or whatever the case may be, or people who, you know, like how, how do you want it to carry on? Like think about it like that. Uh Cause let me jump. Hold on, hold on. Let me jump out there a little bit further. Cause I remember, like I said, listen, talking with my father, and especially when jazz was jazz and R and B were pretty much the primary vehicles for black people for a while. And I think when the hip hop, you know, situation came about and people was able to start channeling things that you wouldn't be able to channel through, let's say, like a drum, even though you really could. But we'll put that to the side for now. I think the people started thinking, oh, that's just what my parents listen to. And again, true story. That's how I started. Again, my pops will listen to WBGO 88.3 in the car. You know, I'm a father's son, so I'm a listener. You know, I'm a listener to 88.3 too. So I'm going to sit there and bop with it. And it wasn't until I got older. Matter of fact, let me tell you a story, man. Speaking about being a griot, and I'll come back to my question. Um, when I was in the eighth grade, this is Walkman times when, you know, your, your parents had a Walkman. Now I had a Walkman that had no rewind button on it, but my mom's had the Sony joint with the, like, the, like, it had like the case it was like a clip like it was like some sturdy like when you would run it wouldn't let like, your tape wouldn't mess up or nothing like that and also it was completely off. Yeah, I remember. yeah don't touch my walk and then we all knew don't do it so i was like all right yeah. cool but i knew for a whole fact my mother would continuously listen to this one song when she was doing something in the kitchen and rest in peace to my mom's too because again the reason why i love jazz is because both of my parents so she had this one song I would always ear hustle. I never really got a chance to hear it for itself, but I knew it was something I would like if I put my ears on it. So one day she left her Walkman down and I snuck it. And I, I knew this was death. Like this is this is this is how you die. Like this is like if, if I get caught, it is gonna be what it's gonna be. But I snuck it into school and I remember this is the headphones that I had like the two wires, very similar to the Apple ones that we all have now. And I snuck the headphone up through the sleeve. I had my hand on my head all day like I was pondering, but I was really listening to music. I know the name of the song. I ain't know it from a hole in the wall. Needless to say, I got caught. So, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? Mom and Pop's coming up to the school, time to die. I'm sitting there like, oh, God, like, let me, like, I don't know how this is going to work for me. And I remember the principal sitting down with my family and they're saying, like, listen, you know, he's a smart kid. He's not paying attention. And on top of that, now he's listening to music. And my father shot me that look like, boy, you already know what's about to happen. Except for my mother just said, what was you listening to? And I don't know. Well, press play. And it was Christo Redento by, by, by Donald Byrd. And uh -huh. all the trouble went away. I, I'm, but I'm telling you, there was no trouble. It was like, it was the look, don't touch my stuff again. Cool, no problem. But I think in the back of both of their heads, they was like, that's a good thing. Because yeah. from that moment on, two things happened. A, it just got me out of trouble. I love it more than I ever will. <laughs> and, yeah. second, and secondarily, this shit is dope. 
and it makes me feel a way. So back to the original question, it's like if you would if you would encapsulate what I just brought to the table, um, how would you do that? Well, you know, uh, I think about it like this, man. Uh, Donald Byrd didn't reach out to you. <laughs> You know, so there's only so much he could do, and and you in working in your craft, you okay? I'll I'll be less general about it. I'll tell you about me in terms of being able to to uh, transcend the instrument has been something that has been on my agenda for at least the past 15 years. I think there's a, a youth factor of playing where, you know, that could arguably a lot of times be the more exciting period of catching young people that are just really in the precision and really getting their, you know, their rocks off. But then when you marry that with the the sensitivity of the music and and the and the vocal aspect of the music, then you're really on to something, right? So with me, I was just like every other young kid, you know, when I was in, in college and then when I first moved to the scene, you know, I was eager to prove myself. What, when you shave that off and you can't really shave it off as much as experience shaves that off um, in terms of, of being, uh, not having to prove anything, then you're at an, a more enlightened state of, 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 of practice in, in terms of your instrument. And you do, if, if it resonates for you in a certain way, then it'll resonate to other people. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a very, uh, and I'm, I'm an optimist that way. You know what I mean? Um, that said, I don't, I don't program what I'm gonna do according to what I think the audience wants to hear um, because you have to, you know, you cultivate an audience, but you don't necessarily uh, hold their hand through everything. And so, you know, when you ask a question like, you know, if I could sprinkle the dust, I, you know, I think that, I mean, the numbers are certainly where we all would like them to be. Um, but my focus has never really been on, on, you know, getting the stadium crowd. Um, as much as it's really been on focusing in on the hearts of the listener, right? So when somebody comes up to me, and it's happened many times, and I love it and it never gets old, they're talking about, oh my God, that version of you, uh, I'll wait for you made me cry, and you played this and it made me, you know, all that means something to me, you know what I mean, in, in a very profound way. And so that's what I, I really lay for. Um, and And certainly, I, you know, I, I don't really have any kind of magic in, in terms of recruitment of how to get people to come in there other than to just keep the music that I have going and to be the best version of me that I possibly can. Yeah, that, that, that works. It's funny when I talk to people. During and we, and we make, I'm sorry, I'm yeah. sorry. And, and we make recordings, you know, the thing about the process of, of, of making a, a, a complete record is I don't think about, I don't think about uh, uh, EPs. I don't think about one song here, you know what I mean? I think in terms of stories. And so when I'm putting together this 
CD or that CD or that CD. It's all a part of a continuum. It's all a big story to me. And that's what I always want to impart to the audience. So no matter, you're always going to have your favorite cut, like, oh, that's my favorite cut on the record, which is that's that's that can go all the way back to the, the 20s. You know, I mean, you might listen to the 45 or something. But the thing is, I always think in terms of stories. And so that that is the journey that I have everybody that I want everybody to be on. Yeah, nah, that, that makes sense. And, and for me, just thinking about, you know, conversing with, you know, us burgeoning, you know, newer, you know, podcast people who are trying to figure out, like, you know, what to do, how to do it. And I get people the same advice all the time, man. Say what you were going to say when you had the audacity to go buy your microphone or create a name or get a graphic mm-hmm. designer or whatever like that and stay there. Because like you said, Donald Byrd ain't come looking for me. Fortunately, yeah. I did get a chance to meet him because he ended up teaching at Delaware State University while I was there. Yeah. So it was super dope right there. So I was like, yo, yo, you would never know. He was like, cool, brother. Like, I appreciate that. But like, oh, no, dude. really, you would never know. Like, so let's do this. So, so let's, let's step apart from that set. Let's let's have a little fun with this. So, yo, first jazz album. So one of two things. First jazz album you ever bought and or the one jazz album that you would say, if if, if I can't have nothing else, this is the one. I got to have this one. <laughs> Which is going to be very difficult. But you, I, I, well, I'll, I'll tell you what. I, I, I'll tell you what. I'll take the or proposition and tell you the first jazz record I ever bought. Because that's an easier story. Um, it's It was... It was uh, Miles Davis live at Carnegie Hall, nineteen uh, May nineteenth, nineteen sixty one, with Gil Evans Orchestra. And what happened was, I got to uh, to high school the year that Miles Davis died, and and the the, the year and the month that he died, right? Because he died in September, and that's the beginning of the school year, right? So, I get to school in jazz band. I'd never play jazz at all. I've been a classical head up until that point. So I get there, one of the, the upperclassmen comes in, man, we should play So What in honor of Miles Davis. And so the teacher, you know, says, all right, pull it out. You know, so we all get to try it out. We play the song and then he starts pointing at people, different people. And then as soon as he points at it, then they start playing. And I'm confused because I'm looking at my, my chart and I don't see where they are. And so I asked, I said, you know, uh, his name was Mr. Magruder. I said, Mr. Magruder, uh, where, I, I don't know where they were when you were pointing. He said, oh, they were, they were soloing. They, they were uh, making up a solo. And so I was like, okay. And so I was always one for due diligence. And so after school, I went right down to the, the local record store, the Sam Goody's on the corner. And, um, and I dug through the bin. And you remember back then they had them long, the needlessly long cardboard bins for exactly. CDs, exactly. you know, I actually found it on tape. And it was, I just grabbed the first thing that said Miles Davis and so what on it. So it could kind of blue could have been in there, but I didn't see it. All I saw was that Carnegie Hall. And when I got that tape and got back home and, and just like you, you're talking about with the, uh, the Walkman, I always had my Walkman with me always, except this time, you know, my batteries ran out, so I had to wait till I got home. I got home and I put that on, and it was a wrap. Yeah, yeah, man. I, I, yeah, that's a hell of a story. I think for me, my first. So when I when I when I graduated school, and I, by this time I was firmly into the I'm 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 grown camp. Like you know when you try to play that grown, you're 21, but you swear you're grown. 
So now yeah. I'm going to show you how grown I am. And I remember going to uh, going to the city and looking at jazz CDs. And this is, again, CDs time. And I bought uh, three all at mm-hmm. the same time. I bought uh, Kinda Blue, right? I mean, you know, Miles Davis, obviously. Um, I bought Ahmed Jamal's uh, album, one of them. Uh, and this was the one with Dolphin Dance on it. I mean, he played Dolphin Dance many times. Awakening. The Awakening, yeah. that's the one, yes, with the, yeah, the tricolor one. And yeah. I bought Song for My Lady by McCoy Tyner. Mm-hmm. And in order of which album cover, because again, like at this point, I'm talking novice. Like I'm, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I was so used to listening to the best of CDs my pops had. I wasn't really ready for what was about to happen. So I'm mm-hmm. like, what am I gonna start with? I'm like, this album cover looks cool. I'm gonna start with McCoy Tyner. Man, mm-hmm. let me. I, I, if that man, that's, I'm still trying to interpret that album like 20 plus years later. Cause I'm like, no, like that's a whole different level of like what the hell's going on like in a studio, like that synergy and a, and a craftsmanship that's not normal. And for the novice, I wasn't a novice jazz listener, but if I were, if that was my first jazz album, I probably would have been my last jazz album. Cause it was, it, it's, it's out there. It's out there. It's like, and, and I'm, I remember going home on the E-train, trying my best to front, like I liked it, but I didn't know what was happening. I was like, what the hell's going on? <laughs> going on but the truth of the matter is i never stopped listening to it and because i entered it's almost like entering the game as a rookie on the nba and your first assignment is like you got to go on lebron james well you can't really go down from there and kd's up next game well guess what you know what i mean from then on everything else becomes easy and and i remember you know really enjoying and this is the funny part of it like you know when you out there in the world dating and such man like you'd be like for the people who talking about you'd be surprised like ladies like jazz, yo. Like y'all should know that. Like so, and so for the fellas, if you're trying to impress somebody on a date, man, you better pick up that Jeremy Pelt, throw that thing on, you know, on my thoughts of you, and, and see, and see, see where you can go with this, brother. Like this, this thing could work yeah. out. All right, question for you: What's the wildest shit you ever seen at a show or backstage? Like you know, without giving names, we don't do personals on one take, no chaser. But tell your story if you got one. I'm trying to think of what I could tell. Uh in a G-rated sense, because I've definitely seen some things. Um, I'll tell you one of the funniest stories, and uh, it involves uh, our dearly departed Ralph Peterson, who just died uh, two weeks ago. I was in his quintet uh, in the very early 2000s, right? So we, we uh, it was myself, Jimmy Green, Orrin Evans, and Jimmy Green's a saxophone player, Oren Evans' a piano player, and Eric Rivas is a bassist. And we played, we made three records, um, Art of War, Subliminal Seduction, and The Tests of Time. And in that period, you know, he, he did his best to really keep this band together and working as, as much as he could. So we went to London and, uh, you know, Ralph was a highly energetic drummer and he definitely wasn't what you would categorize as a soft hitting drummer. He was very hard hitting, very loud at times, very percussive, but he also knew how to reel it in. Um, Now this one song that we recorded on the first disc that came out in 2001, eerily, not only did it come out in 2001, it came out on September 11th, 2001. And again, the name of the song was The Art of War coming out on September 11th. Um, 
we went to Europe. We went to London, I think the next year in 2002. And uh, we, it was funny because Oren, myself and Jimmy and, 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 and Revis were downstairs at the club and we were kind of, uh, just just teasing Ralph wasn't there but we were kind of making fun about how the record seemed to be programmed with you know with regard to the tempo and the nature of the song and whatnot and so we we noted that after every fast song then Ralph would write this song that's kind of like a quasi bossa nova type of thing um with with an eight bar piano intro. And then he always does the same kind of feel going back into the head. And so, you know, something that, that just tickled all of us. And so then we get up on stage and we just, we, we play, you know, the whole thing, we play Art of War. And I mean, everybody's lighting it up and he's, you know, just lighting his drums up. Then the second song he plays we do the same thing. It's okay, we're gonna do this bossa nova again. So we we sit there and we do the eight bars and then he does the same fill, but, and it was, and he wasn't playing hard at all, which made it even funnier because he did this fill, he did doom, scooter doom, and he just pressed the drums and the whole drum set just disintegrated on the stage. <laughs> and it was so bizarre, but the funny thing was in order of people that were just completely inconsolable, Oren was nowhere to be found because he was laughing his ass off. Revis was gone. Now me and Jimmy are on the front line and we some big dudes, right? Jimmy's tall as hell, you know. Um, I'm looking at Jimmy because Jimmy was also the one that could be the most stoic, you know, and, and you know, we kind of generally regarded him as being someone that wouldn't crack under pressure, right? But I look over him because we both have our horns and we none of us turned around to look at the drum set being disintegrated because we just knew that we would just lose it. Leave it there. So I'm trying to, I'm still trying to play this head and I look at Jimmy and he's about to bite the reed. He's just, his whole body's shaking, just laughing, you know, and pretty much the whole band just broke out laughing at him on the stage. And, you know, Ralph was like, what y'all laughing at? And he, he put that set together so fast and when he did, he, I mean, went into this, it had to have been like a 10 minute drum solo that was just heavenly, you know, but uh, that was, that was something that was, that was definitely funny. That's what's <laughs> up. Man. Yeah. Like those, those kind of things. Like I, I, I often wonder every time I go uh, take a jazz show in. It's specifically around jazz because it's so quiet. It's like going to a tennis. It's like what's going on in this uh, tennis match What's going on in the stage is fire coming from the stage, but the audience is usually relatively calm. I often yeah. wonder, has it ever been somebody just hopped up and did something completely wild for the night, like start like screaming or getting into an argument with the girl? Like, I, I mean, I just wonder about those things because it's like, it's almost like you were ruined the whole entire set if you just kind of carry on like that. But I guess that's uh, that's definitely- I mean, there's, there's a lot of that that's happened before. And, you know, like I said, I was trying not to, to uh, be, uh, you know, get, you know, go get, get on that kind of kind of thing because there 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 have been instances like that that I'm I'm, I'm purposely leaving out but I, I decided to go the funny route because that was and for will forever be one of the funniest memories I'll have. Absolutely. So let's wrap this thing up man again I appreciate y'all Jeremy Pelt man I know recording all this man super cool dude. So this whole versus thing man I was able to partake 
And I really enjoyed the Ghostface versus Raekwon versus. I enjoyed them all, almost all of them. Some of them I could take, I skip on, but I, I super enjoyed that because it brought me back to my to my high school days and just when people used to rap. So if I would, if you would have thrown yourself on a versus, who would who would be past the present, the person who you call? They'd be like, yeah, let's go do this thing real quick. Let's do this jazz versus. Wow. <laughs> Truth be told, I don't even know, man. I'm sitting over here, you know, that that's one very original question, you know, and that I really had to think about that one. Um you know, I I think it's akin to to, you know, I've been on stage with all my, you know, cats, you know, and we have a little trumpet battles and whatnot. I've done that with with Winton, I've done that with Roy, I've done that with Nicholas Payton, you know, so I've done that, but um, I, you know, I'd, I'd really have to think about that, man. Mainly because I've done it before, so I, you right, know, right, right, right. Mm -hmm. Who would I like to do this with? You know, um, man. Like you know what was what was funny about Saturday in particular? These are two dudes. So you know, usually with hip hop, or even with RB, when it was Patty and uh, and Gladys and all that, like these are two people who may be friends, but they didn't necessarily make a career out of recording with one another, right? What was funny about Ray and Ghost was they were dead serious in their competition. Like, no, we 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 are the duo. But I'm a, but he said I'm, I got the hearse outside waiting for you, man. Like, come on, get in there. Like, so like he was they were on. So I found that to be pretty funny. So I, like when I thought about interviewing you, I was saying to myself, you know the lineage of great you know uh, uh great you know musicians is 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 out the door so what would that look like or who would be the person he's like you know what i think i would like to go back and forth with this person so that may be something you know um you know for for, for volume two you know if you know if you, if man because i'm, I'm not i really had to think about that one man <laughs> i really would have to think about that all right well, good brother. I appreciate you, man, and your time. Go ahead and tell the people where they can get your book, where they can find your music. You know, let them know how they how they can get in touch with this thing. Well, absolutely. You can just go to my website. That's the easiest way. Um, my website is jeremypelt.net. And um, it's got a, a, a tab where you can just access the on my online store. And there you can get uh, both the hardcover of my book, the paperback of my book. I've got my CDs available on there, plus other titles. Um, yeah, so you can get it there. Go do that, man. Go find uh, tell them how they can find you on social media as well. I mean, obviously, I'm going to attach it to my page, but oh, you yeah. know, social media. I mean, you know, I'm Jer Jeremy Pelt the Grio. That's uh that's uh my my handle on on uh, Instagram. And then if you want, you can join my fan page on 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 uh. Facebook by going to uh, the real Jeremy Pelt fan page, um, Twitter, JP the Griot. So those three. All right, man. Well, listen, brother, as you know, more than likely every day at work, I got to put on jazz before, I, before before it turns into a situation. So I let that play in the background for me often, man. Again, you you, you get spins in my office on a regular basis, man. And I do appreciate you taking the time, man. Y'all don't know. Sometimes you just ask people a question and they may say, yes, man, like like this is somebody who, you know, as far as music is concerned, I revere. I hold this dude in high regard. Um, anybody who can get me through days or get me through moves, that these people matter to me. Like, you know, 
know, so uh, for, 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 for me to you, brother, I appreciate you. Uh, and for the listeners, I appreciate y'all, man. Listen, give it a shot, man. You, you listen, you, you go, you can find something. Trust me on this one. You're going to find something that works for you. And so next time, y'all, y'all be good, man.